Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fates, the gods are with the gods. If anyone finds my voice, let me know. <laughs> Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. We are post-grand final. And contrary to popular opinion, I didn't lose my voice on the dance floor at the W Awards or at the grand final. It's just worn me down this season. I'm Emma Race. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Kate Seal. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Felicity Race. I'm Alicia Sometimes. We are so glad to be with you. We've got so much to talk about today. I loved the grand final, but I'm not going to bang on about it with this husky piece of husky... <laughs> I won't say sandpaper because we're talking about sport. And I think oh, that's too, soon. Too, soon. too soon. Too soon. Lucy Ray's reflections on the grand final. It was such a great game. Despite the weather, which um, put a bit of a dampener, I was literally. Pardon yeah, the pun. Pardon the pun. It was a shame that the entertainment didn't. Um, get a chance to perform because of the weather and I think the first half was just such a contested slog of a game but as the skies cleared a little bit it um, really changed didn't it Mm. yeah absolutely yeah it was a fantastic game it was I don't know if you got a sense of this watching it on television but it was um like an incredible atmosphere at the ground. We sat in the old stand. There were a lot of what I imagine were old Fitzroy supporters going for Brisbane. It was it was deafening. It was such a wonderful um, occasion and 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 a fantastic game actually. A fantastic testament to the season. Um, and it just it, it was interesting because if it had have been my team Adelaide or if it was in the men's competition Hawthorne, um, I would have certainly been you know fully barracking for one team. But when the siren sounded, I. I felt actually really upset because <laughs> I because I just didn't want either team to lose mm. because I've come to really respect so many of the players individually and and you know we've gotten to know some of them here we've had the opportunity to get to know some of them and to see what that women those women have been through the kind of constant criticism they cop off the field so many of them you know I just really felt for it was incredible it was I had mixed feelings Nicole you're a lion yeah this, hurt. this little lion's lost her roar not like you have <laughs> but and not Sam Lane's book either but um <laughs> no it was look I was really invested in the lions winning I do love I mean one time passed I, I love the Bulldogs. They're such a great game. They're such a great team to watch. So many exciting players. So my football head moves in after a little while, but my heart is a lion. So it was a really tough end. I was watching on an app, on the app, because as you know, I had to work and sneaking off in the middle of my, my job to um, to watch those last minutes almost broke me and I, it was really, really tough to watch that and to see how close we were, you know, that was really could have gone either way in the end. So I suppose that's better or is it? Is it better to lose in a close one or not? It's better um, to try than to we, not have tried. I, I'm asking at all. the wrong person. <laughs> I know. Well, ask me. I'm trying. I'm not going to be smug because you know 
year of the dog, all of that. <laughs> um, I love I love those doggies and I'm so pleased for them. But I, I genuinely had some sadness for Brisbane too because you do get to know everybody and you kind of want to barrack for every team. But um, an unbelievable year for the Bulldogs, you know, when you're looking at the, the big awards, the All-Australians, the, you know, the MVP, the they've grand final. Blasted, they? Yeah, they're, they're really just, yeah, team doggy. Well, I felt the same way as you guys, of course, just loved players from both sides. But I was going for the Lions just because you weren't there, Nicole. But Thank sitting you. at the back with you guys was like sitting up the back of the bus. It was uh, <laughs> rowdy and the drinking, halftime and the dancing. And I forgot my underwear. I rushed out of the house because I didn't want to be late and I actually forgot to put on undies. I don't understand that. We've I know. Ac- do you know we've actually just all got over that? I'm oh, sorry. I'm sure you were going to bring that up <laughs> again. used to me and I'm... I've got to carry PTSD about that. I'm so sorry. But yeah. uh, so, so I just wanted to say, Sab, though, when she oh. got on her knees yeah. and cried, I just wanted to jump the fence and hug those Brisbane yeah. players. You could tell it meant everything to them. Yeah. And um, I just felt for them, well, unfortunately. Can I, say, can I say as well, sorry, that you were well-placed. Sorry, Felicity, to interrupt <laughs> you. You were well-placed to jump the field and run given you didn't have your undies on because there actually was a streaker. <laughs> um, oh, so I, never, I couldn't no. see the streaker on the on the thing. On, on the, the TV, I thought the, big the w. cameras would have... Um, can we get a bit of a rundown? What, 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 well, male, female? Somebody did ask me this on Twitter. Actually, oh, I think Hannah Mouncey, I said it was a man and then she told me it was a woman because I my view was obscured a bit. Mm. But um, it was old-fashioned streaker. Nice. Footy the crowd loved it. We're talking full Monty? Um, toplet. Full oh, toplet. toplet. Sorry, okay. Felicity. No, oh, was it you? Is that what you're saying? It was Felicity. It definitely wasn't Felicity. She's a never nude. You know that, right? She doesn't even Felicity shower in the nude. That's why she was so shocked about your underpants claim because she's I'm always so wearing sorry. underpants. Um, I was just going to say my I've got a highlight and a low light. I'm going to start with my low light. My low light was that I was sitting underneath a low-hanging electrical cord and my feet were in a puddle and hmm. I was thinking – um, what could possibly the word conduit just kept coming to <laughs> mind. But, you know, them's the breaks in the outer. Um, and for me, the positive, oh, and this is going to sound so sucky, right? But we talk about how much we love the players and how much we love the teams. And I don't think that anyone could ever query that. But sitting there, and you weren't there, Nicole, but sitting there with you guys, it meant the world to me. And I just love doing what we do and I really love I'm actually tearing up now um I think it's so important that the sisterhood sticks fat and I'm going to be really honest and say that we have had troubling times among us here because it's six people working together in an environment that we didn't expect was going to happen for us but man you guys just really float my boat and and sitting there watching that game with you guys I was like look what's happened. Look what's happened here. Look what we're doing. And and I just, I feel like we didn't get to play, but somehow the six of us get to do this together. And it's a form of playing. And I, there's no greater way to celebrate what's happening in the world than being alongside you guys. So oh, that was my oh, yeah. I wasn't ready I'll for that. Give you the money later. <laughs> <laughs> just wear the underpants. <laughs> I'll be happy with that. <laughs> All we ask, please. On. I don't think I can actually follow that now with my highlights and lowlights. <laughs> but I guess for me, like the low light was a bit the fact that I think events conspired to not allow as many people to get there as possible. I think the weather really was a factor and I think we would have seen a lot more people if it had been played somewhere under under a roof. I do think that not having tickets makes it a really, really difficult thing when it's a big event because I think 
that first lockout, while it was awesome and there's, you know, some wonderful memories from that night and also some not so good memories, Alicia. I think what it does is it makes people fearful of, well, do I want to actually go? Do I want to take the family and then run the risk of not getting in? And the fact that the weather was so bad, I think it just meant that people stayed away and the game deserved to have a lot more people there. And I think that's something that when, you know, we're looking ahead to season three, that ticketing needs to be looked at but in terms of highlights I've got to go with a football one and Monique Conti Mm. who Mm. really came out after half time and put her stamp on that game how awesome was it to see her win best on ground yeah Yeah, it was was amazing you know when you um when you run into an AFLM player I'm always quite shocked by how big they are it's the exact opposite in the AFLW (laughs) we were in the rooms afterwards and I'm looking (laughs) I was trying to talk to Monique Conti. She's tiny, mm-hmm. absolutely tiny. Uh, Kirsten yeah. McLeod, the same. I was talking to her and I was thinking, this person looks like Kirsten McLeod, but on the field she looks enormous and she kicks those. She kicks a goal. She's. I find her. I love watching her play, and I was standing there talking to her and I was thinking, I'm not sure that this is her, but I can't look at her number. <laughs> I know. Brooke like Lachlan. I was overwhelmed. Like, yeah. How does Brooke Lockwin kick all those goals? She's when teeny she, tiny. Like Maybe the they can't the, see her. This has always worked for me. That's been my strategy. <laughs> yeah. I just sneak in there and nobody knows. Can I just say, I, I, I have to, for the low light thing, I have to mention the umpiring. I guess we'll talk in a bit more detail. But, you know, there was a goal that wouldn't have made a difference. In in the end, doesn't make a difference to the outcome because it was a Bulldogs goal, but it was not paid. And we have to look at the review. Uh, we have to have, if we're going to have these, you know, treat these players as professionals, the very first thing they need to do is look at goal review and they actually have to have that as an option um, because, you know, if that had gone the other way, hmm. it, it would just it, it would be devastating for everybody. And we, it, the, faci- the facilities are there, the, the, if you use the right grounds anyway, the technology is there, there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, and all of us at the ground uh, were able to see that replay Mm. at the time. And I think I was saying to all of you, that's a goal, that's a goal. It's come off the back of her heel. And and I I thought the same thing. And I think I might have said to to you, Felicity, if they lose this game and because of that, it will be hugely controversial and rightly so. We were lucky enough to go into the Western Bulldogs rooms and speak to some of the winners, hear some colour and movement from Grand Final Day. Yeah, well, I can't quite describe the feeling, but it's pretty awesome, like really exciting. I can't, I still can't believe it. <laughs> you were just talking, was that your mum you were just talking to? What does it mean to you when you think back on all your footy playing days and or the journey that you've taken to get here? Yeah, no, the long journey, 13 years. Um, oh, as I said, I can't describe the feeling. Like, I didn't ever think that the women would be able to play AFL and now I'm a premiership player. Like... <laughs> Trying to describe that is just, it's its hard, but yeah, very overwhelming. It's just amazing. I, I'm i struggling to put it into words how I'm feeling right now. A range of emotions, you know, I'm feeling something different every minute. Um, you know, I feel for the nine girls that we couldn't have running out there today. I feel for Katie not being able to captain our team out there today. But most of all, I'm, I'm proud of everyone for what we've been able to achieve as a, as a group of 30 players, but not only that, a football club. Um, you know, we've had so much support from our off-field staff, with our coaches, our, our doctors, our physios, our trainers, everyone. Everyone's done a job today and, um, you know, they've done a team effort to get us to where we are. It's amazing. Oh, it's um, 
It's absolutely unbelievable. It's um, you know, it's a culmination of you know eight months to nine months of hard work, and a, and a lot of people have made some sacrifices. And you know, this group has really been open to to change and been open to you know feedback and, and willingness to, to grow. And, and I think you saw that today. Yeah. Well, it doesn't feel real at the moment, but no, it's an exciting feeling, just a rush of adrenaline. But um, yeah, couldn't have done it with the girls around me. It's a good um, individual acknowledgement, but then again, it's it is a team game, and that's what we went out there for. <laughs> it still hasn't sunk in yet. Oh my god, it was absolutely down to the wire. I think it's going to take a couple of days. It's just such a special moment, like to come from where we were last year to now. It's just incredible and a testament to the coach and the staff and us. Oh we, yeah, we knew it was going to be a tough game. We knew Brisbane were going to come out strong, and they did that. And um, credit to the girls, we fought back and. Um, yeah, just so proud of this group and, and what we've come from and um, to bring the cup back to this club is just amazing. Oh, it's it's just a bit too crazy at the moment. It's all a bit surreal, but yeah, it's, oh, bloody amazing. Was yeah. there ever a moment when you knew you had it? Uh, no, no, I think we had to make sure that we had four quarters of uh, absolute 100% effort and, and look, we saw it in that last couple of minutes of the last, of the last quarter, they, they brought it to us and so we just had to keep to our structures, believe in ourselves and, and, and back each other in and, and they got, finally got the job done. So that seems like a really good um, time for us to roll into the next portion of our chat. We're not going to have um, an interview as we would usually have. We've decided today we're going to do a State of the Union um, kind of chat about women's footy and um, off the back of um, the AFLW season. And throughout the year on our radio show, we've been joined by a women's footy expert, Shiloh Curtis, who is also part of the Grandstand commentary team. Shiloh's... um, one of those people who, when you hear the names of people who made this competition happen, um, her name is often brought up by people who are astute and know what they're talking about. If her name isn't brought up, it's because people are only looking at the top line. But this person has been in the trenches since day one and she continues to have very strong opinions and very strong influence and she's part of the reason why GWS was such a an unbelievable breakaway, awesome team this year. We welcome you, Shiloh, to help us unpack season two, season two of Yay. AFLW. Well, thank you very much. And saying that I've been there since day one makes me seem very old because there's some amazing <laughs> women that have done some things way before, you know, I came along. I, I think I joined. Well, I joined the VWFL in 1997. But I was talking to actually I ran in, You know what? Last night at the AFLW Awards, I ran into a woman called. Patty Kinnersley, she works for Our Watch now. And so she was there as part of the Our Watch relationship with the AFL, which I think is just fantastic. And she does some amazing work in the family violence space. But Patty was the amazing inside midfielder that I wanted to be like when I first joined the league in 1997. And, and I often give Patty a bit of love on social media and <laughs> she doesn't feel very comfortable with it. But it was so lovely to see um, Patty last night and just say to her, Patty, you were that person for me. And I never really had too many role models, but you know, you were the player that I emulated and I wanted to be like you and you're just this relentless inside tough ball winner and I wanted to be that and you were so effective with your disposal and you were just so friendly and nice as well and I really mm. loved I loved the fierce competitiveness that um, that came with playing on you but I loved how nice you were as well. It was really, <laughs> you know, you were just so friendly and so it was lovely to see her there last night but I'm, I was very cognizant 
the whole time I played football of the women that had provided the platform for me to play right now. And I even think about that photo of four Ian Gibson women, you know, and I'm very appreciative of those people. And I'm very, even now, like the platform that I have now to do the stuff that I do in media or um, <clears throat> even work with the Giants or anything that I do in the game, I'm very aware of the women that have done things um, that have opened doors for me to have the opportunities that I've got now. And I'm also very, I feel a very strong sense of responsibility, social responsibility and obligation to make sure that I use the opportunities and platform that I've been given by other people from the past to make sure that in the future, other little five-year-old girls don't have to experience what we all have. Um, yeah. Well, you do use your platform to great effect and influence Shiloh. There's absolutely no doubt about that. What we want to do in the time that we've got with you is is ask you a few specific questions about certain clubs and what you think about them. Um, but um, I might kick it off by just asking you about Adelaide, which is the team that I um, love. I love them all, but I love Adelaide just a little bit more than some of the others. Tell me, um, as you look back and reflect on Adelaide's season, what do you think that they need to change, if anything, for next year, what are the, what are the what are the big take home lessons for them? I think the I mean obviously the really apparent thing is and we all know this about AFLW across the board. <clears> you get injuries to your top five players. You get one, it's not great. If you get two, you're in big strife. And everyone talked about the out of er- of Aaron Phillips, but actually I think Courtney Cramey being out at the same time was massive. Um, and she's such a seasoned performer. She's a South Australian, most recent South Australian women's captain when we were in the old version of the game, and she just has so much. Um, yeah, she plays such an important role for that club. And what she does is she allows Ch- Chelsea Randall to play more of an offensive game and play up the field. Now, what happened is that Chelsea had to play a lot deeper down in defence. And so that meant Chelsea's rebound work and opportunities for the ball to push forward, um, her long kicking, her accuracy, the leadership through the middle of the field on rebound just wasn't as apparent in the first part of the season. And when they got Erin and Courtney Kramer back, everyone was talking about Erin. Erin was on one leg, but... I really feel a bit for Courtney that we don't talk about her enough because Goddard's move of Kramey back into defence last year rather than players that inside mid and gave, giving that role to, to Ed Marinoff, you know, it was probably a stroke of genius because you just had this cool, calm, collected head holding the back line up. And so you saw a real difference in Adelaide's performance when Courtney came in as well as Aaron. You just you take Aaron out and and it's a loss, absolutely it's a loss. But you take two of them out and that's that's mm-hmm. huge. So I feel like they probably need to get a little bit more depth. And given the age of both of those players and the durability, and this is an issue around the older mm-hmm. players that are sort of carrying some of these teams, they've got to try and get some class, some elite class out of the younger players because the durability of some of the older players' bodies, I imagine, given the football that they've played in the last four years, a lot. I mean, Aaron's a different story, but players like Courtney, players like Daisy, they have essentially had four weeks off a year for the past four years. they have mm-hmm. No one sort of really understands what the calendar's been like to get to this point. And those players absolutely got smashed over the last four years. So their bodies, the older players, are pretty cooked. So I think, yeah, just some durability with the older, with across their list. Yeah. So if, if we turn our attention to a team like Melbourne, who has missed two grand finals now just on percentage, how does a team like that not only try and stay at the top but actually try and go one better? over the next season. Yeah, I don't think Melbourne's too far off it. There's probably just a couple of little areas that they've got to work on. I mean, the loss of Mel Hickey now is going to be huge for the coming year. We know that she was pushing more into the midfield, but they do need to find, you know, a a, a sort of a a cool, sort of composed, mature defensive head. And I think they're still... I mean, Tegan Cunningham's great, 
Um, but I do think they said they need sort of a second medium to tall marking forward that's strong and can, you know, maybe play a little bit deep, deeper. What we saw with Cunningham, she's got a bit of an engine and she's still on a learning journey about where she runs and all that kind of thing. So her games are going to be a little bit inconsistent. I don't think she got a touch in the last game, just the way the game was played. I think sometimes too, those uber tall players, you know, we saw Sabs in those wet games, like, mm. you know, almost ineffectual, like almost better to get them off. We saw the same thing with Goddard and Jess Allen took her off the field in that really wet game against the Giants. Um, and Cunningham, the same thing. So you need someone sort of in the middle there that, like an Alyssa Mifsud, who's just had some real struggles this year about getting her form on the park and just trying to get her, her body right for AFL and, and the work rate right, right for AFLW. So I think they've probably got to just tweak a couple of things at either end. And the other thing I think Melbourne needs is a really good inside mid. They've sort of orchestrated something there with Catherine Smith. But whether she's got the engine to become that long-term, I'm not sure. Great change-up for them, but I don't know if she's quite the answer for them just yet. Yeah. Um, can I ask a question about Carlton? Is this just funny every time I talk? <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> um, you, it. you can sign the questions. So, Carlton... <laughs> is that the question? No, it's not because I love those. I, I lo- really, I think they've got a really good list. I do. I genuinely believe that the list is really good, but I'm really worried about how do they appoint a coach quickly enough to compose themselves to get ready for the VFLW season because we know that there's going to be a team that's aligned with Carlton um, AFLW. Um do you have any inside word on where that process is? You're rubbing your hands through your hair, making me feel very nervous. Shiloh, <laughs> do you not have an answer or how quickly can this be turned around? Uh, I think it was an interesting move to appoint the AFLW coach as the VFLW coach. And so that means that they're currently without a coach for either team at the moment with, with Damien not being there. Uh, I think... And I did hear the other week that Kane Little said that they didn't really have they didn't have any any options at the moment. They were going through a process, but I don't think that's necessarily bad. I know they've got to go straight into an AFL, a VFLW season. I think they've got some coaching um, some coaching options there through their AFLW to drop down into their VFL and get through the VFLW season. Um, a lot remains to be seen about what the AFL contracts will look like, and there's a, a whole conversation going on at the moment about you know. You know, the rumour is that the contracts are going to be 12-month contracts. And, you know, can can the clubs and the AFL contract players to play for their VFL team only when they're not paying them for that? I don't know if they can do that. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of moving parts that make things really difficult for Carlton at the moment. I think they've got coaching options internally to get through VFL. But I, 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 I see there's a really, op- a really big opportunity for Carlton right now. Um, you know, the, probably the three people that were really instrumental in setting up that team, you know, Damien Keeping, uh, Graham Bergen, both we know are gone, the list manager and the, and the coach. And the other person in that is Lauren Arnell, mm-hmm. who didn't get a lot of opportunity to play football this year. And it re- remains to be seen whether she stays or, or whether she chooses to stay or not. But I think if you lose all of your leadership from your establishment period, say 18 months ago, well, yeah, that's really disappointing and it makes things really tough. But I think there's an incredible opportunity there to start again. And, you know, I said this to some of the AFLW clubs that missed out in the first round of offers of, te- um, of licences that 
maybe you dodged a bullet because mm-hmm. you now you've got two years to watch everyone make mistakes and you get to learn from everyone's mistakes mm-hmm. and you don't have to make those and and you've got two years of planning you know it's coming whether it's next year or the year after and you know it's coming so you can get all your ducks in a line and get it right and have good process and good people and go through the process of getting the right people for the environment the culture that you're in so I think I think there's a lot of upside for Carlton with where they're at I think everyone's like oh it's all stressful and it is but I think that's just a mindset, really. I think if you position it as an opportunity, and I think absolutely there is good opportunity for Kane Little and his team um, to go through a really good process to find the right people to re-establish the foundation of what they choose to do next. I think that's exciting, yeah. Well, on that coaching, um, look at Collingwood. They got off to a shaky start, but certainly found their strides uh, in mid-season. And you had players like Bernardi and Malloy just shining and, and doing really well. But how does something, you know, mid-season, the, all the criticism of Seekman and and his coaching style affect a club like Collingwood? And how are they going to take that forward? Do they just not listen to it and rally together? Or how, do, how does it affect the team? Yeah, it was an interesting call that. I mean, Wayne, I've worked with Wayne for about three or four years and have mentored Wayne when he was, you know, when he was at AFL Victoria with us. And he's a really terrific coach He's and he's a really good man. And I would hate for this man to be lost to the to the competition. Uh, he really cares about his players. He has a lot of empathy. He doesn't coach for ego. Like he coaches for his players and, and collective good. And um, he's a very emotional man and he really... Um, yeah, he he he, um, he rides every bump with his players, as I'm sure most coaches do. But there is something really special about what he does, and he's a really good he's a really good coach. And we and to be honest, yeah, I've seen him coach, or he's coached in games with me where, you know, we we played the most beautiful football, the 2016 Under 18 National Final against WA on the MCG. Izzy Hunting kicks five goals. Catherine Smith, a phenomenal performance. And it was the most perfect game of football I've ever been in, involved in. And it was, I still think about that now and I have tears. It was just, <laughs> it was just a beautiful game of football. And it was the game, you know, I always, as a player, I always wanted to produce the most perfect game of football ever. And I never really kind of nailed that. We had some really good ones, but <laughs> never really kind of nailed that. And, and that day, and I walked into the rooms after the game and I told the girls that I'd always aspired to play in the most perfect game of football, but... I said, I think we just achieved it with Wayne's leadership in that. So he's a, re- he's a terrific coach. I think there's some real – I think – and I was talking to someone about this last night, that when you when you're involved in a club like Collingwood, and, I, and obviously being at GWS, like no one really kind of expects anything of you because you're a fledgling club at GWS, they're brand new, the club's only sort of eight years old. But when you're Collingwood, you have to actually carry that extra pressure of it's Collingwood and, they ha- and they're so – because of who they are and they're so big, they're so scoreboard or outcome-focused, win-loss-focused, whereas if you're the Giants, you've got a bit more licence to mm-hmm. sit in the process, mm-hmm. which is very progressive and is probably the most the best way to position your culture. Um, but Collingwood has such a a strong um, outcome focus and we know what that you know we know what that means in terms of productivity. So there's this extra kind of pressure that Wayne and his team and his players all have to carry that if they don't win a game in a seven-week season, which is essentially not even a competition. It really is a final series. You know, how hard is it to then coach with that extra pressure on your shoulders and, and do your job when you've got that and you're under that much scrutiny all the time? So and I think that probably everyone probably needs to, you know, get off the get off the focus on the scoreboard and, and really just focus on, on the process. And he's a good process person. That's how he operates. Um, the players there, when that criticism came, and it was one person's criticism really that, got a lot of media 
when that criticism came, I spoke to a couple of the players in there and I said, how, how did you guys respond to that? And they went, actually, this is really ordinary that our coach is copying this because we're the ones out there executing or not executing. And they just went, this is not okay for our coach to be copying this when it's when we actually need to we actually need to work hard now and do 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 what we need to do to get the, you know, to give Wayne a bit of support. So, I think, if anything, it was more a bit of a kick up the backside for the players mm-hmm. to realise, you know, this is not okay that this happens to our coach. We need to be playing our role, and we're just not doing that right now. So that I, I thought the turnaround really came from more of a, um, yeah, just an honest, um, an honest account from the players around their diligence around their execution. Shai, you mentioned the Giants and, you know, you had a lot, obviously, a lot to do with um, their success. And and there was, you know, there was signs of really some beautiful football and some, there was such a buzz around that team. It was really exciting to watch. Probably didn't uh, deliver quite on the level that we were hoping. But tell us where Ford to take them to that next step, that next level. Yeah, I don't know if I had a lot to do with them. I just sort of said, here, Al, here's some players, choose one of those, and off you go. Um, <laughs> take the credit, Shai, yeah, no. go on. <laughs> God, it, was, it was really frustrating. Actually, I didn't get to call. I saw. I went to one game out at Casey Fields <laughs> live, and then I didn't get to call any of their games, which probably is not a bad thing because, you know, last year I didn't really have a team because everyone, you know, they're all across all the different teams. But, you know, when the Giants lost, I was hating life from the inside <laughs> out. You know, I was gnawing at my stomach. You know, it was awful. Um yeah, I, I think um, the Giants just need a bit more depth. I think just growth and depth. And, I, you know, you look at Erin McKinnon, who was the All-Australian Ruck last night. How wonderful for her. She's 19. She doesn't turn 20 till December. She's a ripping kid. We worked with her a lot when she was in the under-18 under system. And you could see how sort of inconsolable she was after the end of that game. And But then you've got Cora. She's probably been on the end of probably not too many whippings like that one in her life. But And Courtney Gum, you know, is 36. And, she, yeah, she's played footy only from when she was 29. But you're 36. Mm. And, you know, you probably probably many of your listeners will probably understand that. You know that moment when you're younger in life and your head's all over the shop and you've got all these emotions running around your head and you just don't have any structures or frameworks or anything to call upon to just kind of straighten everything out and say, right, this is what's going on. Go out and play football. You know, you can't. You don't have that when you're 19. When you're 36, you do. And you know, Erin partly, you know, in that that moment was just, I can't get my head right. How do I get my head right to lead this team? And the ruck's so important because they give you first use of the footy all the time. Mm-hmm. So, look, you know, Erin will be much better for that experience. She's got some really good people around her. Uh, but they've got them. Like last night, they were pretty much the All Australian midfield. You know, you got Eva in there as well. Who'll She's staying up in Sydney and, um, you know, Delpos, I'm sure, will go back and, um, you know, just some terrific people. Gum, hopefully we get to keep her if she wants to stay. Obviously, there's a challenge around the relocation and this is, you know, some of the, around the pay inequities. It's it's really hard from a Sydney perspective and, I'll, and I will take my GWS hat off here if, and look objectively at this, that if you're paying someone 100 grand, the cost of living in Sydney and the cost of living in Adelaide it's it's not that much, you know. Like you just yeah, you've got enough money to cover the the double rent, so to speak, and probably the four dollar fifty coffees. But if you're paying if you're being paid ten grand, you know, rent in Adelaide and rent in Sydney, that's really big. And you're doing that for five months of the year, and you're travelling up and back, and you put your life on hold. It make there's quite an inequality there. So trying to convince people to move to Sydney in the current system and setup from a giant's perspective, it makes it really tough. It makes we've got to build an amazing culture there, and we're really focused on recruiting good people um, and having the right systems in place to support player well-being. Because 
we know that we can't just recruit people for scoreboard. We've got some scoreboard outcomes now, great. But the culture and the club has to be so appealing that the club is a destination club for those reasons, not for financial, because it's really tough mm. moving people mm. to Sydney financially. And there's no cola in the AFLW contracts? Mm. No, no, there's no... Um, no, there's not at all anything like that. I mean, there's a relocation expense that you get once, but that's all you, you get at once. And if you're a FIFO player, you only get it once. The first time you come up, that's it. But if you fly back, if you choose to come back to Melbourne for winter or Adelaide or wherever, when you move back to Sydney again for the next season, there's no new relocation expense because mm. you choose to come home. So it makes it really tough financially. And the other thing is, I mean, the New South Wales market, I mean, for those people that understand the way the game has developed in the non-traditional states, but New South Wales are probably New South Wales and Tasmania, to be honest, the two la- the last cabs off the rank. And Libby Sadler, who heads up the Giants team, did the female development role at AFL New South Wales, did a terrific job. She came in, and, but she came in in 2011. Now, my role at AFL Victoria is female development manager. That was put into place in 2004. I came in 2007. GWS, oh, sorry, New South Wales comes in in 2011. Mm. And then this, this is a non-traditional market starting last and these are kids that don't grow up kicking the footy around. The, the dominant parts of the population don't grow up kicking the footy. A smaller part along the Murray, yep, they do, the Riverina. There's some amazing talent there. But that's closer to Melbourne than it is to Sydney. And already we're seeing Melbourne clubs trying to raid the Riverina area for talent. So there's no protection about, around New South Wales talent. Um, and so it's open slather. Mm. There's no additional money for cost of living in Sydney. Um, there are no kind of concessions at all to make it enticing to get people to move to New South Wales. So the Giants did really well, mm. but they had to execute superbly every game. And when they had an off game, you saw what happened because they lacked a bit of depth at the bottom end and um, a bit of an ex- a bit of experience. And I think the other thing they did really well was they kept their players in the park. They didn't have any – like we lost Sh- um, Schmidt, I think, and we didn't really – I think Matty Boyd was the only one who was on the injury list. So, you know, two rookies didn't get to play because there were no injuries. So they kept their team on the park. Their best team played their best football most often, and we got the results. But there was no kind of fat or cream there to accommodate an off game, mm-hmm. which yeah. other clubs have. Yeah. And that's just the setup of the club at the moment. So <laughs> hopefully in, in, in how things transpire moving forward – um, that those things are taken into consideration. It is an, equi- in, an inequitable playing field in terms of player recruitment and retention. Mm. Um, but, you know, we know it's a work in progress. And from a Giants perspective, we just want to build the place. We want it to be a destination club. And if you look at the leadership of Al McConnell, Alicia Eva, I mean, we, there are so many ex-under-18 captains in that squad. Eva, Stevenson, um, Delpos, you know, Saundry, they're good people. Boyd, terrific young woman, just such good leaders. And Tanya Hetherington, amazing. Cora Staunton, Courtney Gum. These are really good leaders, and that's what we really wanted. So we want people to be attracted to the people there, um, and then we'll build scoreboard out of that. Yeah. Shiloh, this leads into my slightly bigger question about next year when we have a couple of new teams joining us. Um, is a club like GWS at greater risk of having players poached because of things like the the discrepancy in the cost of living yeah it makes it's going to make it really tough to retain you think about how many victorian or you know and al mcconnell talks about it as dad's army and people coming in from all over the place a bit of a, a motley crew um and it's yeah, it's true there are people coming from all over the country now you know if given the cost of living and the impact on your life and having this fifo kind of experience would you would you go back to Sydney or would you stay in Melbourne where you might get an opportunity at North Melbourne? You can stay living at home with mum and dad. You can go back to uni and live a regular life and all that kind of thing. So 
that is the real expansion is a real threat for GWS because they rely on so many interstate players to top them up because a New South Wales talent pool isn't quite there yet and it needs you know it needs another four or five years of of investment and growth and development there's some great kids coming through the system but we just got to wait for them to grow up and in the meantime kind of the giants are going to rely on having interstate talent and, and so when expansion comes that's a massive thing for the it's giants gonna, it's going to be interesting too with the nrl women's um how that will compete and draw on the same youth and different cross coders and the, and the like but it's kind of a watch this space scenario yeah um in terms of brisbane now, our, my beloved Lions, the losing a grand final can be really unifying sometimes. I mean, after the pain passes, losing two is starts to feel like there might be a pattern or there's, you know, it can feel a little bit more entrenched that there's something else going on. I don't actually think that's true, but it's more the psychology of it. What sorts of things, well, firstly, is, is Starswitch going to be able to hold on to those key players and what's it looking like? For um, you know what what do you think he can do to kind of keep that buoyancy and not to let that psychology of of losing two grand finals, um, you know, dominate their thinking. Well, I don't. I'm not too stressed about their list management. To be honest, they're pretty tight. I mean, and everyone everyone forgets or probably don't realise that Craig's worked with that group of women f- since he was appointed into that that role with AFL Queensland, and he was a state state academy manager for the under-18s and he was a state coach for the under-18s as well as for the open-age women. And then he brought those two academies together and they trained together. So he's had that team of players essentially since, you know, 2014, 2013, when he first came into the game and Julia Price sort of, you know, um, enticed him to join AFL Queensland. And so he's, I think he's got that history on his side. I don't necessarily see too many people wanting to leave Brisbane. The quality of life's fantastic. It's sunshine, it's... You know, and the state league competition up there is, whilst it's not the calibre of, say, the VFL, I think it's still a really, it's there's a pretty good competition there. There's a lot of participation depth. It's the most, it's got the highest participation rate in the whole country because their school program's really strong up there. Uh, so I think retention of his players isn't going to be too difficult. There's got a couple of Tasmanians in there. <laughs> so, you know, certainly they'll be on North Radar and Wooshner and, and Gibson. I reckon Gibson might be a chance. I think Wooshner will stay up there. She's enjoying her life up there. She's happy. Um, they're a really tight group of women too. They're really cohesive. I spoke with Kate Luckins last night and she and her mum are just ecstatic around how the club's been and the support they've had. Um, Brie and Craig, I think they're very confident around... Um, yeah, it was. It, it's awful to lose two grand finals by a kick two years in a row. However, they're the, we've played 16 games of... You know, six, they've played 16 games of football and look how consistent they've been, mm-hmm. you know, and they're really consistent across the board. They probably need someone to support Sabs and they probably need another small, crumbing, good small forward. Probably, need, yeah, probably two. They're a little bit one, um, one-dimensional one going inside 50 and I reckon that costs them. Um, I've seen some really great um, development in Craig's coaching and, and how he has made his game plan a little bit more versatile and, and I think that's been really important for them this year. The consistency between the backs and, you know, across all zones of the ground, super. The development of Emily Bates. I mean, we all talk about, you know, we talk about every other midfielder. We never talk about Bates. Like, she is – and she's a future captain of that club, um, long-time captain. She's only 21 or something. She's just an absolute ripper. So consistent. I don't think she's played a bad game in AFLW. And that's the interesting thing. Craig gets a bit like GWS – his players are always fit. How many players has he lost through long-term injuries in the last two years? And his background's S&C. So they're really well prepared. They're very consistent across all the zones in terms of what they do. And their area of their, um, 
that, that they let themselves down in last year was around effectiveness by hand and by foot. And that became one of their weapons this year. They were much better in close. Um, they did a lot of work on maintaining possession to get themselves out of traffic, and that was really effective. So, yeah, I th- I'm excited for what Brisbane do. The big thing for them, and, and I reckon this is where Craig and Bree will be locking down in the next 12. They've got 12 months to keep the loyalty there at the club because they've got Gold Coast coming in the year mm-hmm. after that. And I think that needs to happen to split the talent up there. If we're going to split all this Victorian talent, we need to do the same thing in Queensland because otherwise we'll end up with a Darabin in the women's in the AFLW and that'll ruin the competition. So um, whilst it's unfortunate for them in Brizzy, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing for the competition. Another club that did... Um, well, this year, I think, that improved from last year and played some incredible footy was Frio. Uh, obviously, though, they didn't they didn't have as many wins as they would have liked. How do you see them next year, Shiloh? What do they need to do? Um, yeah, some challenges, I think, over there at Fremantle. And they've also got this looming West Coast Eagles just sitting there rubbing their hands. And so it was interesting last year that the team at, you know, the recruitment and coaching team took mostly West Australian players in the draft. In fact, all West Australian players in the draft. And I think that was really strategic in trying to lock down WA talent before the, the Eagles come in in, in, in a year and a half. Uh, I think they've probably got to look a little bit more outside of WA as well for talent and see what they can get. They had some injuries that really smashed them up. Kelly Gibson was a big loss this year. Um, Bowers couldn't get on the park. So, you know, they're two really good players, two classy players that make it, again, those two top five players makes a difference. Uh, so there's some challenges there. But they probably just lack a few stars to be honest they just need a bit they're just a bit one paced maybe a little bit like Carlton in some respects they just need you know some people that are going to you know they need they probably you probably need two classy really top level classy players in each zone and I just reckon they don't have that they don't have a classy forward you know you know apologies to who's there but like in terms of top level elite Aaron Phillips type yep. top five players they need probably they need least, another Dana Hooker, maybe because she was pretty good. <laughs> she's been amazing. Her, I mean, I love watching her, her career develop, and you know, she's been playing the game for a long time. It's really lovely to see her performing the way she does. But is she a mid? Is she a forward? Mm. And they just need to replicate. They probably need another one of her. They need another one of Danellen in some respects. They're lacking a ruck. I mean, Michelle Cowan's been pretty open about the loss of Emma King. You can't, you know, tall players. I mean, they grow on trees up in Queensland, but not really anywhere else, unfortunately. Um, is it up there? Is it the sun or something? It must be. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, I think they need to start. Yeah, I think not having a really dominant ruck. And if Jans is out now with that knee, then that's a real issue for them. They've got to try and orchestrate another ruck. So, yeah, and unfortunately, look, if there are any six foot three women out there that want to have a crack at playing footy, there are plenty of opportunities for you. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered off on all the teams. We're not going to cover off on Western Bulldogs because they saluted and they, you know, got the chocolate. So, you know, yeah, seemingly change. perfect. Don't change anything. Don't change a thing, right? <laughs> and then yeah. you got to you, – I mean, we, I guess we acknowledge that they've got Katie Brennan and Izzy Huntington to come back into the side. So, you know, let's put them to a side and say that they're okay. Let's look at some broader issues while Shai's here. Lucy? The question I'd like to ask you, Shiloh, is there's been a lot of discussion about the standard of umpiring in season two and that there's been a bit of lack of consistency and and that in some cases the um, changeable standard in umpiring can actually have had a, an impact on congestion and some of the other issues in the game. We need to support pathways as well. So we need we need more umpires. What do you think is the, the key for next year in I guess, striking that balance. Yeah, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head there around balance. For me, 
you know, the umpires that are in the system are talent, uh, talented umpires. Um, so these umpires are umpiring the game at a faster rate in women's football than they have before. They're having to deal with some really extreme weather conditions in summertime. Um, you know, it's also pre-season. It takes some time to get your eye in, I reckon, sometimes too. But there are some really, you know, the umpires in that program and the AFLW program are really terrific umpires. They're TAC Cup slash VFL slash, you know, AFL Academy level umpires, they're future AFL umpires, they're on that, that journey. So it's not like they've just plucked them out of community football and they're having a jog around the mm-hmm. park. They're elite umpires or sub-elite umpires, they're on their way. I guess the challenge then is, and there are some contractual issues between, you know, the, the, the AFL umpires who are contracted to umpire at that level, their contracts, do they include AFLW? Can they be used for AFLW? So there's a whole conversation around that. I know it kind of seems a bit bizarre. Why don't you just throw the AFL umpires into AFLW? But how many how many games... Can they run? Around? It's a bit like the players, you know. You got to manage their bodies. They cover a lot of kilometres. So how do you actually manage that? You know, if it was me and if I was Grant Williams at at uh, the AFL umpiring department, and he's a really good strategist, Grant. So he'll 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 probably work this all out for us. But you know, I, I think there's some room maybe per game, if contractually it's allowed. And keep in mind that the rate of pay for an AFL umpire probably versus an AFLW umpire is probably different. So you've got to find some more money in the economy to pay. AFL level umpires, AFLM level umpires to come in, um, you know. But is there is there any value in in your three umpire system having one of them being an AFLM mm. umpire and the other two are emerging umpires, and then that person, you know, you get some on field coaching whilst you're getting the off field coaching, and at least you've got a really good set of eyes, quick decision makers, people that are, you know, an umpire that can really see it as it is in the moment, and make that call, who can actually just add just take it up a little bit, up the standard of umpiring just a little bit, which I think we need. Mm. Um, but having said that, um, yeah, there were some hits and misses in the game, but you look at the players and there's plenty of hits and misses in the game as well and turnovers <laughs> by foot and by hand and you're like, oh, geez, what have you done that for and drop marks. and So, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not too fussed about the umpiring. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with where it's at and uh, we're on a journey and, and the AFLW, I've always said this, is still a development competition. Speak to some of the AFLW coaches, I'll say exactly the same thing. It's like coaching in the tack because you've got to teach them so much as well as coach them, coach the scoreboard. Um, yeah, and I think the same with the umpires. So, and we need them, you know. And the yeah. only way we're going to get the only way they're going to get better is to have experience. No different to the AFL players. Mm. Yeah. Shiloh, just another quick question for you on equity and pay equity, which you just mentioned. Then, so I saw a stat somewhere that floored me this year, and that was that if the players in the AFL M took a one percent pay cut across the board, it would amount to a one hundred percent pay rise for the women in AFL. Is that right? I've heard that as well. Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's breathtaking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, do you think there's any chance of um, pay being renegotiated for the women next year and are seeing a significant increase in their pay like that? I think um, this is a hard – it's a really – It's a really. you know, we could turn around right now and say on the current scale of the competition, yeah, do this and, and pay the women – hundred grand a year so we can move them up to Sydney, you know, full time, um, which uh, that would be amazing. Um, but having said that, and this is what people don't understand who don't understand the, how we've grown this competition, there are three things you need to do to grow the sustainability of this AFLW competition long term. One is grassroots participation. Now that's now the ball is rolling on that, but there's a lot of support that's had to go into um, building those new competitions and new leagues and, and, and that kind of thing. And that's taken resources. None of those game development managers have had pay rises. With the new money that's come into the competition around the TV broadcast rights and everything, 
the Players Association negotiates for increased, you know, player payments and the like. But the people that build those players, those middle-level management within the AFL development system, they don't get pay rises, you know, when more money comes in to the to the industry. So that's, you know, and those people work sometimes seven days a week. I mean, I work 55 hours a week for 10 years on average. And you very rarely get two days off in a row. You very rarely get, you know, you're still taking phone calls from volunteers at 10 o'clock. I've had phone calls from parents at 11 o'clock at night. Um, you are, it's not like you get, and you don't get six weeks annual leave a year like the players do. So the playing staff of the competition get six weeks. There's a day a week that we can't touch. But if you're in game development, there is not a day in the week that you can't touch. You just do the work and, you know, it means sometimes you don't see your family on weekends. You don't. So there are, I have some challenges around that. So the game development piece, we've got to build mass participation at grassroots and we're doing that. We then also need to build a talent pathway that's going to emulate what the boys have so we can develop the best talent possible and fast track the girls. So when they get into AFLW, we don't get these people on the outside potting them because they can't kick very well. You know, so we've got to really invest in talent. And then on top of that, we've got to not only finance the existing competition but we've got to expand it as well so these three things we're doing this simultaneously whereas men's football that's been done over 160 years mm. and people forget that that was an that was an emerging economy and it developed um organically in lots of ways but you know the tac cup you know there was a big investment to put that into place 25 years ago but that happened 25 years ago now it's just maintenance it's mm-hmm. got its own economy and it's got its own you know income and, and all that kind of thing now it's doing its own thing but we're having to, we, the AFL, is having to orchestrate all of these things at the same time. And that's expensive. Yeah. So I'm all for going on the journey around equity. Um, I don't, and I've seen this in, inter- in international competitions, Major League Soccer in the US, you know, American football in the US, where they've gone too hard too soon on player payments and the competition has been, um, has gone bankrupt essentially and fallen over. I don't want to see that in our game, and I think all the women really understand that. It just needs to be. There will become a point, a tipping point, where the number of hours that the clubs expect them to commit and want them to commit becomes so impactful on them being able to maintain their jobs, a bit like what happened with men's football, say, in the 90s. Yeah. And the 15 hours might be doable right now for four months of the year, but if you want me to do that for seven months of the year, maybe tip it to 18 hours a week, 20 hours a week, can I do a 40-hour job? Mm. There's going to be a tipping point where we have to go from 15 hours to full-time. We can't mm. just kind of build it up slowly. So this, I think we just need to have a bit of balance and a bit of perspective on growing the economy of the game. Yeah. I don't know if this is maybe a question to finish on, Charlo, but we've heard um, talk, so the AFL have met this week and they're putting together a panel. Um, there's been some talk in the media that Steve Hocking wants to have this discussion around women's football to um, maybe see it as a blank piece of paper, maybe des- redesign it. And I've heard of, there was a quote saying that um, they'd be looking at improving the quality and appeal of female football and making the game better and safer. What is your reaction? I can see what it is physically, <laughs> but <laughs> what is your reaction to, you know, if, if we're in a development stage, what does the AFL need to be focusing on? I can see that safety, you know, safety should, for men's and women, any sport, safety should be number one priority, particularly in, in contact and invasion sports like footy and, and you know, rugby and, and the like. Um, so I think that's really important and I think that's where the investment, say, at talent, at talent development levels, state academies, seniors, juniors, whatever, 
that's super important there. I think, um, you know, umpiring has a role to play around that. And so just tweaking, maybe tweaking that, like we talked about earlier, I think, um, and and then, you know, the amount of time we can give coaches and the coaches can spend with their players, that's important as well. So there's a whole bunch of things that make it tricky. So it's about, can we tweak all of those little things a little bit so that everything improves from a safety perspective? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, we saw probably fewer concussions this year we did than we did last year because there's been more investment um, in the players across the last 12 months um, but I think uh, you know there are elements of the game where you know I've been a I've been really open about where I sit around congestion um, and I've I've been open about that at under 18 level uh, um, and the, they did that with the boys with the TAC cup they brought in anti-congestion rules because the coaches were coaching for scoreboard results and it was really impacting the development of the boys as players. And so they were starting to play less one-on-one football. And if you ask an AFL recruiter, they want to know if you can beat your direct opponent. Can I beat my player? And if you can, then mm. then you're in. But if you, can't, if you can't demonstrate that you can't beat an opponent, there's question marks over your ability to do that. So anti-congestion rules were put into place to create more one-on-one style football, which has been terrific in the TAC Cup. It's in the boys boys and girls TAC Cup now. Um, It's in the boys and girls under 18 nationals, under under 16 nationals, super. And so I, the only thing I really see a need to do is probably add something in there that will try and free up some of the congestion. So for me, having two inside your forward 50 at a stoppage, that's it. That's the only thing I really think you need to do. Uh, I think the lasso rule this year. Um, actually, you know what was funny? I was watching the men's footy on the weekend, and the ball went out. I was like, "Oh, that's a lasso!" And I was like, <laughs> "Oh no, it's a throw-in." Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> it felt, no, I was just so um, geared for that. But um, I didn't like the lasso inside the foot in the in the in the arch and the yeah. arches. Um, arches. Jesus, um, <laughs> it's called. The it's the end of the season. Now. The fifties yeah. in the zone in the scoring. Jeez, yeah. I can't even speak. It should today. result in a goal. Should it? Like, well, that rule. I just... yeah, I think you do. And particularly in women's football, it takes so much work because we kick exactly. shorter to get the ball into a forward 50 and then you turn it over because it goes out of bounds because you had a shot on goal and you missed because mm-hmm. you're fatigued and tired because everyone's trying to play these presses and I could go on about it forever. But I didn't mind it through I didn't mind it through the arcs. I thought that was um, in the middle part of the ground. What it did is, I mean, I, certainly as a commentator, there was less um, opportunity to talk because all less stoppages. Mm-hmm. And so what it meant for me is that the ball kept staying in play. I did find it congested the game a little bit through the middle because players were trying to you just narrowed the field by another 10 meters on either side but if you've got two inside your forward 50 that's going to open that up anyway so whether they keep the lasso or not i'm not fast either way but i think two inside the forward 50 um it, i think it opens up the game a little bit more you pull four players at each end out of the contest and and life's a bit freer 16 or 18 aside aspirationally 18 uh 16, I understand 16 as we build the economy of the game and create a bit more space on the field. I do think that enhances congestion with the game style the coaches play because you've got more people doing more work more often, which means they're more fatigued, which means they can't run as fast, they can't run as far, they can't spread very well, they can't kick as long, so the ball stays closer. And then one less on the ba- on the interchange as well. That was weird. Look at five too. on the bench. Yeah, yeah, six last year. So that's, that impacts that further, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And I think, yeah... I, I, I just think anything you can do to try and minimise fatigue and keep the game nice and open, um, I'm okay with. But in principle, if you're, a f- we all grew up wanting to play the game that we saw on TV because, and we experienced this. I think we spoke on a Saturday morning about how AFLX made us feel that it was almost really quite anticlimactic because it was so easy to score. The beautiful thing about our game is the process to get the scoreboard result is glorious. Mm. 
it is and there are so many ways that you can get that and as a Richmond yeah and as a Richmond supporter growing up you know who you know you'd watch games and we get done by 20 goals but you could take rich you could see Richo take an amazing hanger or someone you know do this beautiful chase down tackle on the wing and you and you would get the release on that you'd, you'd enjoy the beauty of the game for what it is and I think focusing on how many goals are scored and you know how can we make it more of a shootout I and mean, they're really great to watch but the beauty of the game is in how you play it like it is it, it is unlike anything else and I think if there was anything to come out of AFLX was that it it felt empty dirty. when goals it felt were scored. dirty all those dirty dirty <laughs> I wasn't going to use dirty oh, but were taken out I all just, the good bits were taken I out I just felt like in my I just didn't feel whole mm. whereas I think the beauty of the game is the game. and, and Which me, is why the grand final was so good because it was low exactly. scoring. But, man, it was a contest. At half time, it was, it was like there were hardly any goals scored. It was but one we were goal like, in oh it, but it was, on, it was on the edge. Yeah. yeah. And so for five-year-old little girls growing up watching the game, that's the game you want to play. And I've said – and my role at AFL Victoria building, you know, female participation, it was easy. You know, I'm about to go to golf – Footy was easy because it's a beautiful game. There's a place for everyone in it. You can be tall, short, fat, skinny, fast or slow. And there is a place on the field that we can put you. And all you need to do is bring your strengths. And we'll complement each other's strengths and hide each other's weaknesses. And we'll do it together. There's this beautiful inclusion, this beautiful diversity the game relies on. And that that is the beauty of it. You know, like the game itself was this amazing thing that I could it was I didn't have to sell it it sells itself so why would you want to water that down like yeah. that is your gold nugget guys don't change it that's yes. the thing that you've got well it is a beautiful game Shiloh absolutely and um, you have have done so much this season to enhance our understanding of it us as a group and also our listeners it's been amazing to have you here to share this um kind of season review and to get your insights on all aspects of the game and because you did out yourself during the year as a Giants supporter I want to finish by giving you a little gift from us which is to thank you for everything you've done and I want to present you with your very own I hope you don't have one already <laughs> GWS Giants I don't have one <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. (laughs) I expect to see you wearing this. In summertime in the commentary box. Everywhere you go. (laughs) Thanks, Shai. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's been great to to be a part of your team. And you know, it is really wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) It is really wonderful to work with, um, you know, just um, intelligent women who really own their knowledge and skills of the game. And that's been a really big thing for me in my time in the game is really encouraging women to own the knowledge and skills of the game, not be scared to. And it's just really lovely to work with a team of people that do that. And, you know, often so many women mothers that I've said, why don't you do some coaching or some, oh, no, no, no. And I'm like, no, it's really important to get involved. And we all know so much about the game and you just got to back yourself in a little bit. And I love what you guys are doing as a a team of people. You've backed yourselves in and you're... You're having a red hot crack as you want to use all the footy cliches and you're one week at a time. We're taking it one week at a time. Well Thanks done. Time. Thank you. Thank you. In the week leading up to the grand final, there was also another massive story that unfolded when Katie Brennan was suspended for her second um, reprimand, and what we saw was a fallout that we haven't seen before. Um, 
our own, our very own Kate Sear, Dr. Kate Sear, Associate Professor, Dr. <laughs> Kate Sear, Kathy, Captain, to, <laughs> Captain <laughs> Kathy, um, had a lot to say about it, and she became the go-to on Twitter. I've never seen you quite so excited before <laughs> because we're. I wasn't excited that she no, was suspended, but let me say where law and gender um, and in, footy and footy intersex is your jam it is your job so we're going to treat you like the expert that you are I'm handing this over to you but what we're going to do is we're going to ask you some questions that were questions that were asked on Twitter so I'll ask you just to give a precy of what happened well um so just to recap Katie was uh, there was it was announced that she would be suspended for the grand final she appealed that decision to the AFL tribunal and she lost that was on the Wednesday before the grand final, or the Tuesday rather. Um, she then announced that she would appeal that decision again to what's called the AFL Appeals Board. And that's the last internal um, opportunity to appeal an AFL decision. So she went to the AFL Appeals Board on Thursday afternoon. Um, and there she ran what was um, a, a new argument. She, she argued that the suspension was unlawful because it was against the... Um, both the state and the federal legislation, sex discrimination legislation. She lost at the AFL Appeals Board and then there was speculation about whether she would take a further step. The next step, if she was to take one, would be to go to the either the Supreme or the Federal Court. So a you know, really serious um, step, but other players have done that in the past. And um, she decided not to, but the kicker was that she then announced that she had filed an application, a complaint with the Australian Human Rights Commission. And so we just wanted to use this opportunity to have a bit of a roundtable discussion as a kind of educational piece, really, about what it was that Katie argued, what the issues are, to understand not just where she was coming from, but also how discrimination law works and intersects with sport in this country. So, Nick? Yes. so one of the questions that came up a a lot were the fact that people pointed to the reality that there are differences already between the men's and women's competitions well beyond the sanctions. So there are different rules. Um, there's a smaller ball, 16 aside, shorter game. Uh, the last touch rule doesn't exist in the men's game. So if we say that the sanction system is discriminatory, isn't the whole competition discriminatory? And does this put the whole league at risk? Yeah, it's a question that came up a lot over the weekend. Um, in short, the best way to explain it is that there, in law there are different kinds of discrimination. We have what are called lawful forms of discrimination and unlawful forms of discrimination. So I'll explain it to you like this. Let's imagine that the AFL set a rule that said small children can't nominate for the draft the national draft to play AFL, which of course is a rule, you have to be of a certain age. This would be discriminatory because it discriminates or distinguishes um, people based on their age, but it would be a lawful form of discrimination because it can be justified in some way. And the justification for that is that young kids certainly aren't skilled or big enough or strong enough to play footy against um, uh, adult men or adult women. Let's imagine on the other side, other hand, though, that the rule was instead that people of, say, the Jewish faith couldn't nominate to play in the draft. This would again be discriminatory, but it would be unlawful because there's no reason for it. Let's say that, you know, the reason was that we just don't want Jewish people to be able to play. That's clearly a form of unlawful discrimination. So the law is really complex here and it requires us to look at lots of different things to work out what's lawful and what's unlawful. Um, One of the things that the law tells us to do is to consider whether the measure or the rule is what's called a special measure, just like a positive step designed to try and promote equality or help a disadvantaged population. 
And so what it means is that, yes, there are different rules in footy, but you have to assess each one of them individually. Some will be lawful because of their purpose, but others won't be. And where the purpose or effects aren't about advancing equality, um, then it will be unlawful. And the suspension, we, what Katie argued, and I think she's right, is that it undermined equality. It didn't advance equality. It undermined it by punishing women more severely than the men. And, of course, the underlying reason why the suspension was such in the first place was something about inequality, that women can't afford to pay the same fines as men because they're paid differently. Um, so I, I don't think there's a risk to the competition as a whole. Okay, Kate, this is my question. At the appeals board hearing, the AFL argued that Katie wasn't being sexually discriminated against because the system she plays under, um, where women don't get the option of paying a fine, is the same system that's used in the VFL and suburban competitions. So were the AFL correct? Uh, No, I don't think they are. And I'll I'll tell you why. Um, What the law says is that when when you're considering whether a rule is sexually discriminatory... You have to look at whether the person here, Katie, was being treated less favourably than a man would have been. And you have to compare like for like. And the problem here that the AFL had was that when it made that argument, it was really asking us to compare not apples and apples, the AFL-M and the AFL-W, but apples and oranges, the AFL-W and, say, the VFL or suburban leagues. Um, The AFL actually needed, the AFLW rules actually legally need to be compared against the AFLM. And don't forget also, there's already actually a VFL competition that exists for women. So you can't, so the VFLW should be compared to the VFLM and so on. One of the questions that you might ask, and I know we talked a lot about this over the weekend, Em, was, you know, if this is the case, if it's as simple as that, why is it that Katie lost? And why is it that I'm so convinced and so certain that, that the argument was right? And I think the, the reason is probably this, that when she had that first hearing at the AFL tribunal, her lawyer didn't make any of these arguments. They ran a quite different um, case. And when she went to the AFL appeals board, and they did then start arguing about the, the discriminatory nature of the rules, the AFL said, well, no, you don't get to raise this stuff now. You should have, If you wanted to make this kind of argument, you should have made it the first time around. You're trying to have a second bite at the cherry and, and introduce entirely new ideas, and that's not how the process works. And we don't know if the AFL appeals board agreed with that position. I think they probably did. Um, we'll never know because they didn't give reasons for rejecting her application. Um, there was a separate question there, and I, I think quite rightly about procedural fairness or natural justice. You know, she should probably, I think, probably should have had a detailed set of reasons from the appeals board. Um, but I think it may be that her legal team got the strategy wrong the first time around. Kate, I wanted to ask, um, which I saw on Twitter a lot, was Katie knew what she signed up for. Um, the rules were already there at the start of the season. So how do you turn around now and complain about a system that you you signed up for and committed to? Yeah, that's a good question and perhaps the most difficult one um, for, for, for Katie. Um, but there's two things I would say about it, the, the, the two points. The first one is that Katie's an employee of the AFL and like most employees really has unequal bargaining power and a limited ability to structure the rules of the game. I know that people were involved in negotiating the change in rules, which I think included other AFLW footballers and the AFL Players Association. But I think it's important to say that they were doing so within seriously compromised circumstances where women are paid a lot less and had limited options in terms of of what could be um, renegotiated. 
But the second and much more important point is is a simple one, and that is that even if you agree to a rule and the rule is unlawful, it remains unlawful, okay? So um, let's imagine that the AFL developed a rule that said Indigenous players, if they were charged and went to the AFL tribunal, should be punished twice as much as non-Indigenous players. The players could all agree to that rule and have it imposed upon them, but the rule is still wrong. Actually, the rule would still be unlawful. It would breach the Racial Discrimination Act. And so the fact that you accept a rule doesn't change the fact that there are overarching laws that apply and that cannot um, you cannot sort of exempt yourself from them. Kate, one of the other things I saw were a lot of comments saying that there are actual human rights abuses taking place in other parts of Australia and the world, including on Manus Island. Is it really proper for the Australian Human Rights Commission to be dealing with something like this or to be dealing with something from the realm of sport? Yeah, I, well... Uh, I could say a lot about this and and, um, and the importance of upholding and respecting human rights obligations in law. Um, but I was lucky enough on the weekend, or sorry, during the week, to bump into uh, a woman called Dr Chris Hanscom, QC. She's a renowned human rights um, barrister and discrimination law barrister in Australia. And as it so turns out, she's the lawyer who prepared Katie Brennan's human rights complaint and her federal court application. So I was able to talk to her about just this point, Lucy. Um, Dr. Hanscom QC has run a number of very significant human rights cases in this country. So as a few examples, recently she appeared before the Northern Territory Youth Detention Royal Commission. She also represented several victims of child sexual abuse in the Royal Commission Institutional Handling of Child Sexual Abuse. And she has been representing members of the Palm Island community who were engaged in the Palm Island riots 14 years ago or so and who have successfully argued that their human rights were breached when they were arrested after those riots and protests. Um, So she has an incredible perspective on human rights abuses and the broad spectrum within which they occur. I thought she might be sympathetic to this question and she doesn't like sport, I should say. So I thought she might think that, you know, there are some kinds of abuses that matter more than others. Here's what she had to say. The struggle for human rights in this country has been long and tortuous and is by no means finished. Protection from sexual discrimination has been part of the law of this country for 40 years. It's a bad argument to say we should wind it back because people in other countries who are less fortunate suffer under the regimes in those countries. All of us should try wherever we can to advance the protection of human rights, not diminish it. Those who would say that are possibly those whose rights have never been breached. So, Katie, I'm loving that uh, so many PCGM cards are being pulled out. That's political correctness gone mad. Um, (laughs) That was mentioned many times. But another thing was if women get to pay fines and they're so small, just say it's scaled to to their pay... Um, they'll just pay their way out of the season. What do you say to that? Well, it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I agree entirely that um, the AFL needs to crack down on head injuries and neck injuries and do what it can to avoid spinal injuries. And it does sound like if women can pay their way out, they will. Um, but let's remember that actually in the AFL-M, men can be fined on three occasions for these kinds of tackles um, without being suspended. And so my view is if we are of the view that it's all about safety, player safety and protecting the head and that Katie should have been suspended, 
then actually the AFL-M rules are the ones that need to change and bring them into line with the AFLW competition. So, Katie, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us. There are This is such a nuanced conversation, or at least it needs to be. But I think we all need to understand that to move forward and to progress, we need to believe in the sisterhood and we need to Shiloh's, protect each other. <laughs> Shiloh's taking photos of herself in the giant scarf in the she background, is. so we're slightly distracted. Slightly distracted. <laughs> um, but also this conversation isn't over, so we will continue it. Last night, um, Shiloh and I were lucky enough actually to be at the AFLW, uh, AFLWW Awards, is that what it's called? So many W's. George W. Bush wasn't there, just to confirm <laughs> that. Um, it was taken home by Emma Carney and the day previous, um, we were, I was at the AFL, M- AFL MVP. AFLPA MVP. Oh, my gosh, thank you. It's an it's alphabet, alphabet, it's soup. An alphabet <laughs> soup of a week, isn't it? <laughs> and Courtney Gum took home the <laughs> chocolates, which was so exciting to see a peer-voted peer um, award going to... Courtney and every time we talk about her now she's a mature age player I go yeah one for the old ladies and then I remember that we are all way older than that way older. <laughs> way older. but congratulations to everyone who's taken home medals and trophies Kate not only are you a lawyer as it turns out you're a songwriter <laughs> well let's not get carried away we'll, we'll see we'll see I thought that what we should do today to celebrate the end of AFLW season two and to draw a line under it before we, or as we move into AFL M, is um, a little tribute to the season, a little song. And so, as a tribute to the women involved, but also too as a tribute to one of our great heroes on this show, uh, Weird L. Yankovic, <laughs> I, <laughs> I wanted us to sing a little song. It's going to be appalling. So, maybe if you're turn, um, down, your turn down your headphones now. Mm. But we're going to give it a crack. Here is uh, AFLW Season 2 tribute. A long, long time ago, I can still remember when the women couldn't play. And we knew if they got their chance, they could make those big crowds dance. Oh, and how they did in AFLW Season 2. The opening night, it made us shiver. Signs in the sky that plane delivered. We headed down to Princess Park and watched footy in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't remember if I cried when I heard Sue Alberti went in through the other side. The shame of gate gate gave way to pride. Rainbow flags, players sighed by side so my my this season sure was a ride from the first one how far we've come left us feeling inspired and them good old girls they played the game of their lives singing they filled our hearts with such pride Oh, they all filled our hearts with such pride. (laughs) Did you see Ash Newman's goals, Sabrina's four, Cora's heart and soul, and Courtney Gum doing it for the old? (laughs) Do you believe in the D's, Fab Four? Days, June, Pax and Mel, disposals galore. And can you tell me why the footy gods 
punish them so. Because you know we're all in love with Mel. Mel! <laughs> Our heart sank when she did her ACL. <laughs> Ebony playing with half a tongue. So damn good and still so young. I was a massive fan of Katie Loins. Across my leg with that kick to Sarah's groin. <laughs> Historic crowd in Perth for just a $2 coin. Erin kept the crow's dream alive. We started singing. And the lasso rule had a boot scoot no knife. Do they fill our hearts with such pride? These sisters. They can't be denied. You bet. For two years, Beck and Mish were on their own, <laughs> and their status has just grown and grown. But, but that's not how it used to be. When Craig Stasevich keeps his tricks in a man bag, Britt Benici's trick is the heart tag. Kate McCarthy's is the zig and zag. Shizzy's taking this. There were loads and bridges flapping round. Goals to the Mr. Whippy end of the ground. Katie's courtroom was adjourned. That verdict should have been overturned. Well, Pepper munched down on her burrito. Chloe Malloy showed us she can go through. <laughs> She'll get better as she grows. The future is looking so bright. And we were singing. My, my, the season made us cry. Penalties from Mr. P, injuries on all sides. And them good old girls just took it all in their stride. Singing AFLW or die. AFLW or die. Storms and shelter in a summer swelter. Dana Hooker playing yet another belter. And Chloe Malloy is a soaring star. Up in the top end, purple glistening grass. Chelsea Randall like goes off across the back half saying, This ball too, it shall not pass. <laughs> now Nat Exxon brought the muller back. Long locks blow in the breeze as she attacked. Raising thousands weedy cheer. Then shaved her head from ear to ear. Mo went to Moe on the team bus. Once they were there, it was all fisticuffs. <laughs> Steph Giocchi was a bit too rough, but lucky Libby's head is real tough. <laughs> we started singing. My, my, this season was on fire. Throwed my car to Casey Fields with that purplish sky. So kids are cheering and some grown men cry. Singing, I'm so happy now I could die. AFLW, not, not X, don't, don't ask why. <laughs> oh, and we went to Bourbon Gary. Yeah, that's a place. There, Meg Hutchins kicked a goal into outer space. And Bernardi ripped the game apart. So come on, Brooke. Be nimble. Brooke, be quick. Brooke kicked seven through those great big sticks. We're glad she wasn't in Pyeongchang. <laughs> Bonnie, too good, shining on the biggest stage. What a shame they're playing for near minimum wage. 
sell the rights next time, AFL. And let us pay these women well. And as Katie pushed for human rights, we all pushed for some more rights. We've come so far but still must fight to play this game we love. And we were singing, My, my, the things went down to the wire. Out into Frio for the Hevo and for Emily McGuire. And as for our pal to that pest control guy, singing chicken salt until I die. Chicken salt until I die. It was tough here for the Blues. Next year they'll have more happy news. They're in good hands with Darcy and Tay. And then a season came down to two. Lions versus Dog competing for the W. Rain and thunder couldn't keep the fans away. And in the stands old Roy boys screamed. But the doggies hoped to crush their dreams. Monconti's game had spoken. The lion's hearts were broken. And the women we admire most, taking knocks on and off field from pillar to post, gave us a season we could proudly boast that took our breath away. This is where we all sing. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my season two got us high. Joy and heartbreak, cheers and heartache, we had tears in our eyes. And then then good old girls show what can be done when you try. Putting women's sport up in lights. The names will go down for all time. Come on, girls, we were singing. My, my, season two, it's goodbye. You inspired us, you beguiled us, left us all on a high. These women are here and they will not be denied. Now let's keep the W for all time. (laughs) That was so bad. (laughs) We're out.